acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So what are we going to do now? This is a common question that people ask themselves after the holidays in sort of this period when Christmas is ending and the parties are winding down and the meals are done and the presents are all given and you start thinking about the new year that's starting in just a week. What are we going to do now? In fact, some people spend so much time pondering this question that there's actual, uh, actually a phenomenon called the post-holiday blues. You might have heard of this. Um, in an article that appeared in Psychology Today, Linda Walter said that there are many reasons why people experience this. First, there's the anticipation of the holidays, everything that you do to get ready and plan and prepare And once all of that planning and preparation is over, you don't know what to do anymore. We have busy social calendars, most of us, in the month of December. There are office parties and family parties and, you know, choirs and school, like, you name it, and there's an event that happens. And suddenly in January, most of us look at a calendar that is remarkably empty. A lot of us spend time with the family at holidays, And that can be uh, a mixed bag for sure. It's good and sometimes also frustrating. And holidays are also a time that most of us remember those who are no longer with us, with sadness in our hearts, and we feel that pain again. The thing is that sometimes it's hard for us to know what to do when we find ourselves in these transitional spaces, when one thing has ended and another thing is on the horizon. And I'm talking, of course, about more than post-holiday blues right now. I'm talking about how we respond when we feel like we are on the verge of seeing everything around us changed. Because I think that is what our Scripture talks to us about today. Isaiah 62 gives us one perspective on a moment like this when everything has changed. Isaiah 62 was written for a post-exilic people who had returned to Jerusalem from Babylon. Most of them were probably born in Babylon. That was the only life that they had ever known, but they were Jewish people who were allowed to return to their ancestral homeland for the first time. And they faced many questions about security. Is it actually safe to be back here in Jerusalem? It was just destroyed about a generation and a half ago, after all, and nothing was left. Are we going to be okay if we stay here? They had questions about how to rebuild their society. This is a time when people are struggling with what it means to be good and faithful stewards of God's law in the promised land. Some people wondered if it was worth all the time and effort to rebuild, and some people said maybe we shouldn't rebuild at all. And in the middle of all of this pain and uncertainty and struggling with what do we do now, a message of reassurance comes from God. 
No one else is going to harvest your grain this time. No one else is going to press your wine. It's yours. The time of your suffering has been redeemed. And you will be called sought out, a city not forsaken. And this will be a sign to all the nations. God's restoration of Israel will be a witness to all people that hope comes even in the darkest times and that there is a way forward. And this is the same message that a group of terrified shepherds hear one night when they are out watching their sheep, doing what they have always done. They are not in an unfamiliar land, trying to figure out what to do next. They're sitting out in a field, watching their sheep graze, doing the same thing that they have done thousands of times, night after night. They're not particularly wondering about the future. They probably have a pretty good sense of what their future is going to be. But their perceptions of normalcy are interrupted in the most spectacular way imaginable when a choir of angels shows up and tells them that something has happened that will change the course of history. And their response, let us go to Bethlehem and see. But it doesn't stop at seeing because Luke tells us that the shepherds became the first evangelists. They were the first carriers of those glad tidings, that good news that was told to them by the angels. So friends, I think we find ourselves today, many of us, living in an in-between time. You might relate to the people who are returning from Jerusalem wondering what God is asking us to do now. You might feel a little bit more like the shepherds, hearing good news and saying, what am I supposed to do with this? We are in the middle of so many changes. We are trying to recover from a series of global health crises. We are facing political instability at home and around the world. There's also financial instability. People are losing jobs. Houses are hard to pay for. People are living in uncertain financial times. And it affects us all a little bit differently. Maybe you're wondering if it's worth it. And maybe you're just trying to keep going and doing what you've always done. But wherever you are, the message for us today is that good news shows up. It interrupts that routine. And it gives us a new way forward because God is with us and we are not alone. Come and see. Experience God's promise. Go and tell. Build and plant. Sometimes that's easier to say than to do. And as I've been thinking about all of this this week, it started with a conversation that I had last weekend with my wife, Michelle. She was on the way home from choir practice. They were getting ready for lessons and carols service that we had last Sunday. And they, had, they were singing a piece. The words were written by Dora Greenwell. 
who was a 19th century poet and essayist who lived a pretty remarkable life, although she was never in great health. She was an outspoken, she was outspoken about the slave trade. She was for the rights of women. She went out of her way to care for the poor and the marginalized. Young children who were trying to find a way in the midst of working in factory jobs at the tail end of the Industrial Revolution. She took them under her wing and tried to educate them. She did all of these amazing things, and this is what she wrote. I often wish the church would preach up the great relative duties of life. Justice is no doubt a natural virtue, one at least which the natural man can recognize, but which assuredly he does not naturally practice. Its action is so warped and turned aside by selfishness, which invades the most tender, sacred relations. Her answer to selfishness, to self-focus, and to benign neglect of the people around us is not to do something amazing. It's to pay attention to the great relative duties. Care for other people. Be kind. Give to those who have less. Care for the marginalized and oppressed. And the message that she actually put in the song that we sang last week was this. Rise and bake your Christmas bread. Christians rise, the world is bare, and blank and dark with want and care. Yet Christmas comes in the morning. You see, I think there's a tendency for all of us to try to complicate faith to make it something mysterious and difficult that we have to spend hours praying and discerning. But the quality of faith that most distinguishes it is faithfulness. It's not hard. It's the message we hear in our readings today. Go and see and tell. Build and plant. Harvest and make your bread. Press your wine and then share your abundance. On the way home from practicing that Christmas song, Michelle heard a story on Weekend Edition about a bake shop in North Yorkshire, England, that the, the owner of this particular bake shop converted the room above his big oven into a warming center. Because with energy prices being so high in Europe, a lot of the seniors who live in the neighborhood can't afford to heat their homes anymore. So he set up couches where people could come and read and socialize in the warmth of this nice, comfortable space. And he, he didn't stop there. He said, if you can't even afford to turn your oven on, just bring me your cake batter. Bring me your dough. I'll throw it in the oven for you. Friends, that's what it's all about. It's not overly complicated. It's the great relative duties. Because when the world is dark and full of despair, we do have a message of hope to give. So it's up to us now to come and see, to build and plant, to go and tell. We share that message this morning with our hungry neighbors who make their homes on the streets every night. And in the coming year, we will have more chances to share, to build, to give, to feed, to share the good news that the angels shared with the shepherds that night. So I'll leave you with another line.
from Dora Greenwell's song. Rise and open wide the door. Christians rise, the world is wide, and many there be that stand outside on this Christmas morning. Amen.